0: If you have your Bibles tonight, we're going to start chapter 12 of Matthew. If you've uh, got a Bible, use it. If you don't get one, there in the pew, we've got Bibles all over the house. And we're going to go through a few verses tonight. Tonight, I'm going to tell about 15 illustrations of uh, things that I think are important. Uh, all right, number one. Let's look at verse 1. Now, at the time, Jesus on the Sabbath went through the fields of standing grain. Now, the grain evidently was ripening. It was ready to eat. In Palestine's uh, warm uh, Jordan Valley, uh, the barley would ripen into April. In the Transjordan, the region east of the Sea of Galilee, They would harvest in August. So the event took place uh, probably in Galilee on their way back from Jerusalem. Uh, They were hungry. Uh, The scripture says the disciples were hungry. Uh, Harvest time was soon to get there. And this grain was there and it was ready to eat. It wasn't theirs, it wasn't their field. But they were walking by and they were hungry. Uh, This is related uh, by Matthew alone, though it's implied uh, in the Gospel of Mark in the second chapter and in Luke in chapter 6, no longer being regularly engaged in their earlier occupations. Some of them were fishermen. They were successful. You know, there was a tax collector. There was this guy and this guy and this guy, and they all did different things. They all made a living. Well, uh, now, none of them were doing any of those jobs. So there was no regular income that uh, was coming in. So they uh, didn't have a a great deal of money. Uh, Since they didn't have jobs, the disciples uh, uh, became hungry. They hadn't been able to buy anything. And so here it was time to eat. They didn't have any food. Uh, So, uh, Jesus was hungry as well. Uh, Jesus experienced not only thirst, uh, John 4, 6 says, but he was also hungry, Matthew 21, 18 says. This little group was poor and needy, and now they were hungry. Now, this is Jesus and his disciples as they're coming back from Jerusalem. For people in such a condition, the law had made a special provision. If you want to look it up, it's in Deuteronomy 23, verse 25. Uh, When you enter your neighbor's field of standing grain, you may pick the heads of grain with your hand, but you must not thrust a scythe into your neighbor's standing grain. Well, the verse goes on, verse 1, and they began to pick heads of grain to eat them. Uh, They were starving. These guys were hungry. To satisfy their hunger in full accordance with the law of Deuteronomy, the disciples began to pick the heads of grain and to rub it out in their hands, get rid of the uh, shaft, Uh, On the part of those who hated Christ and were trying to find something wrong with what he did or what he said, uh, there was an immediate reaction. You know, the the scribes and the Pharisees, some of the rabbis, they watched him all the time to see if they could catch him in something because they wanted him dead. They wanted him to be crucified. They wanted him uh, to be killed. They hated what he was doing. They hated what he was saying. Well, look at verse 2. But the Pharisees saw uh, Jesus and the disciples doing this and said, See here, your disciples are doing what is not permitted on the Sabbath. You can't do that on the Sabbath. Well, uh, by means of their hair-splitting legalism, these men were constantly burying God's law under a whole group of their traditions. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the rabbis, they thought their tradition, what they had written, what they had uh, put before the people, was more important than what God had said. And so here is where that, of course, uh, comes against each other. Uh, They said, this is the way it's supposed to be done. This is the tradition that we have started. You know, many of our traditions are wrong. They're just wrong. I was in a church years and years ago, and we talked about putting up a screen. And some people said, no, we've never had a screen. We don't want a screen. That would be terrible. And uh, some people said, well, you know, a lot of churches are getting screens, and it helps you when you sing. You can look up and sing. You're not looking down at your book. Well, they argued and fussed over that. And finally, it came to the time of a vote, and it passed by four or five votes in the whole church. And so they put screens up. I think two or three people quit the church over it. They thought that was just the worst thing that had ever happened in the whole world, that we put up screens. Well, in about a year, everybody was saying, you know, I voted against that, but it is so much better. You know, you can see it. You can sing with your head up. You can just sing out as loudly as you want to, and it's, it's really good. Well, um, you know, we have all these traditions. I pastored a church once where there was a month during the year that half of the church would leave and go deer hunting. I'm talking about half the church. And they would just all get together in these, uh, you know, these big things. And uh, they would go and camp and go deer hunting. Well, you know, half of our Sunday school teachers left, half of our deacons left, half of our uh, church left. You know, for a month, uh, we couldn't hardly do anything. And when visitors would come in, you know, they'd say, well, good night. This church doesn't have very many people here, you know. And uh, I wanted to say every week, well, there's 150 of them that are gone. They've gone hunting. Uh, You know, that was a tradition that they had. Well, that was a tradition that really hurt our church. And uh, I, uh, you know, uh, I talked to a few of them about it. Didn't change them a bit. Uh, They went right ahead uh, to go hunting. Didn't slow them down at all. Uh, Well, these Scribes and Pharisees, they were filled with envy. You know, they couldn't do the miracles that Jesus was doing. They had all this envy within them. And they were real mad about it, and they wanted him to stop doing that. So once again, they wanted him to be crucified. They wanted him to be killed. Um, So they were trying to see if they could find something, and boy, they thought, here we go. We got it. We got it. He's out there leading his disciples and they're eating stuff on the Sabbath from a field. You're not supposed to do that. Their intentions were not honorable. There was murder in their hearts. Suddenly, uh, they confronted Jesus. Now, let me tell you a good game plan. You never want to get somebody in a debate that is 1,000 times smarter than you are or 1,000 times more knowledgeable than you are. You don't ever want to do that. That's stupid. But they, you know, went ahead and did it. You know, they got up and they started uh, saying, you know, this is wrong, that's wrong. Uh, And they confront him about it. Was not work forbidden on the seventh day in Exodus 20, 8 through 11? Uh, Had not the rabbis drawn up a catalog of 39 principles? They had hundreds of rules that they had made up. They were all legalists. Uh, They were all very narrow uh, in their view about religion. They were very, very uh, keen on everybody going by the rules that they had made up. Very keen on that. Well, uh, picking heads of grain was considered reaping. Couldn't do that on the Sabbath. Rubbing out the grain was called, in these things that the rabbis had written, threshing. Couldn't do that. That was against the rules. And here were the disciples engaged in these very activities, enjoying the fruits uh, of their labor. Uh, they were eating this ill-gotten gain, according to the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus was doing nothing about it. In fact, um, he was probably participating. Well, this just drove the uh, legalists crazy. It just drove them insane. In his answer, Jesus implied. In his interpretation, in this case, it uh, it, it wasn't stated in just so many words by him, but it's clear it was a condemnation of the false explanation which the rabbis had superimposed upon the commandment. They had literally changed the commandment of God and made it say what they wanted it to say. The Pharisees were either completely ignoring or else leaving insufficient room in their teaching for the following truths, which also summarize Christ's teaching uh, as as now presented. Can we put that up on the screen now? That'd be great. Uh, These were uh, five principles that Jesus was trying to get across to these guys, these scribes and Pharisees. And I want to go through these with you. The first one is necessity knows no law. Look at verse 3 and 4. Jesus said to them, Have you not read where David, what David did when he and those with him were hungry, how they entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread? which neither he nor those with him, but only the priests, were allowed to eat. I mean, they really broke a bad law. Have you not read? Now, do you you get some subtleness in him saying that? Have you not read? Now, these were the people that had memorized the first five books of the Old Testament, the law. They'd memorized it. Can you imagine spending half of your life memorizing the first five books of the Old Testament? These guys had done that. And then Jesus gets up and says to them, have you not read? I mean, he really puts it on them here. Bad. As if to say, you pride yourself in being the very people who uphold the law, and you deem yourselves so thoroughly versed in Scripture that you believe that everybody ought to listen to your teaching and nobody else's teaching. Yet you yourselves are unequated with the fact that even this very law allowed its ceremonial restriction to be ignored in cases of necessity. If somebody is starving, they can eat. Well, this reference is so uh, consecrated, uh, is to consecrated bread, showbread, literally the bread of the presence. There were 12 loaves of bread laid out in two rows displayed on the table of showbread before the Lord. The 12 loaves represented Israel's 12 tribes and symbolize the constant fellowship between God and all the people, receiving their bread from him, eating their bread with the Lord, consecrating themselves to the Lord, gratefully acknowledging their indebtedness to the Lord by the means of this offering that they had given. This bread was changed for fresh bread every Sabbath. Well, the old loaves, guess what, were eaten by the priests, Exodus uh, 25, uh, 30. David had a right to ignore the divinely ordained ceremonial provision when necessity demanded it. They were starving. They had to have something to eat. For surely Jehovah's anointed, Jehovah had anointed David to be the king, had a right and a duty to maintain himself physically, and so did his hungry attendants. Well, there was good reason in the case of Jesus and his disciples to ignore a purely rabbinical regulation regarding this Sabbath observance a rule resting upon nothing more than a misinterpretation and misapplication of God's holy law. Necessity knows no law. If you need to eat, you ought to be able to eat. All right, look at the second one. Every rule has its exception. And you know, most very, very uh, legalistic people that I know, they don't, They don't agree with any of these. And they certainly don't agree with the second one. You know, if somebody's a real hard-nosed legalist, they're going to say immediately, no exceptions. No exceptions. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there are some exceptions. And Jesus is pointing those out in our text tonight. The principle announced in verses 3 and 4 applies always. It always applies. Sabbath or no Sabbath. What David did when he ate the consecrated bread was right and necessary, whether it was done on the Sabbath or any other day. It was necessary for them to live. Turning now specifically to God's ordinances regarding the Sabbath, Jesus continued. Look at verse 5 and 6. Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, how on the Sabbath, the priests and the temple break the Sabbath, yet are guiltless? They would eat the bread. The priests would eat the bread. And yet they were guiltless. A higher law demanding that everything be done to make possible the worship of God by the people modifies, in other words, Gives an exception, modifies and restricts the too literal interpretation of regulation concerning Sabbath rest. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees had, I used to have this, uh, I couldn't find it, I looked for it, uh, a list of all the laws that they had written. There's just the whole pile up. One of the things that you couldn't do if you were going to eat somewhere you couldn't take over so many steps to get there. If you were going to go get water from the well, you could just take so many steps to get there. If you were going to wash your hands, you had to wash your hands at a certain angle. I mean exactly that angle. They had to be down, your hands had to be a certain way, your arms had to be a certain way. If you touched anything that was dead you had to go in and go through ceremonial cleansing. If you touched any blood in any way, you had to go in go through ceremonial cleansing. These were rules. These were habits uh, that they had uh, developed. Well, the trouble with the Pharisees uh, when they found fault with Jesus and his disciples was this. They had not only placed rabbinical tradition on par with God's written word. They had put it above God's written word. And that's wrong. You know, if somebody says something that you don't think is right, and they're saying this is what God's word says, you know what you need to do? You you need to say, now, where is that? What what verse is that? Where, Where do you find that? You know, it sounds wrong. It it might be wrong. And you want to uh, make sure that what they're saying is right. Well, uh, in addition to that, they attached an all but absolute value on specific traditions. They were not to be broken under any circumstances. I want to tell you something I did. Now, probably half of you are going to think this was terrible, what I did. But I did it, and I thought it was okay. Nobody died from it. I lived in Dallas years and years ago, and I bought two tickets in uh, the stadium to see the Cowboys play. And uh, I had seats in the stadium. And... At that time, the Cowboys were having great years. Their B team could have beaten anybody else. They were world champions. They were so good, it was unbelievable. And when the Cowboys played, everybody watched it. I mean, people didn't even like football watched it. Everybody watched it. I mean, Dallas stopped when the Cowboys played. Well, one year they got into the, playoffs and, you know, they were winning and uh, it got to this crucial game and the game was at six o'clock on Sunday evening and our church service was at six o'clock and I talked to some of the uh, deacons. I said, uh, men, what would you think about us meeting at three o'clock on that day? And some of them said, amen, preacher. And some of them said, absolutely not. That would be ungodly. And it was about evenly divided. So I talked to the other staff people, and they they were all for it. And so I went to the guy that was the most vocal uh, against it, and I said, uh, you know, I, I think we could do this. I think. I think it'd be okay. He said, we've never done that before. And I said, well, uh, do you have any family members that are really into this cowboy thing? He said, we're all into it. I said, well, wouldn't you like to see the game? He said, I'd love to see it. He said, but it's it's not, not what we do. So I just decided we're going to have a church vote. And so I put it up to the church. I said, uh, you know, if we have a service, there ain't going to be anybody here. So uh, I suggest that we have the service at 3 o'clock. And we voted, and it overwhelmingly won. And we had the service at 3. And nobody died. You know, it was okay. Uh, I want to tell you another one church that I pastored, uh, I had never had one of the midnight services on New Year's Eve. Have, you, have y'all ever been to one? You ever been to one? Uh, I'd been to a few, and, and uh, some of the people in the church were saying, let's have a midnight service. Let's start at 11, end it at 12, right on the dot, you know, when the ball comes down and all that. And I said, uh, well, we've we've never done that before. And they said, well, let's try it. Let's try it. And I said, well, okay. So I just announced that we were going to do it. And for the first time in the history of that church, the church was packed. I mean, there wasn't a a seat in the church anywhere. It was packed. Well, the next year came around, and we were going to have a New Year's Eve service. And I, I had a phone call, and it said some people wanted to come in and talk to me. And <clears throat> I said, well, sure, let them come on. About 15 women came in. They sat down. We brought in chairs into my office. They were everywhere. And they said, we don't want to have that late-night service. That's not good for our children. It's not a good thing. We should not do that. That's wrong. We've only done that once, and and, uh, many of us just had a terrible time handling that. It was just awful. It was just awful. And I said, well, the church was full. They didn't know what to say to that. And uh, it kind of went on and on for a while. And so finally I said, well, ladies, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll vote on it. Well, they went through the whole church, and I mean they put the wham on everybody. And it lost by uh, just a few votes, so I never brought it up again. And I thought to myself, you know, would the Lord be pleased more with a church absolutely full or a church about half full? Which would he be more in favor of and the funniest thing about it all was I counted during the song service I sat right there and I counted the ladies that had come into my office half of them weren't there at the six o'clock time for worship I thought that was very interesting well you know back then The scribes and the Pharisees, they had all these laws that they had made, all these traditions that they had set up. And so many of them were wrong. So many of them didn't honor the Lord at all. So many of them changed basically what the Ten Commandments were saying. But they did it anyway. In an authoritative manner, Jesus adds, and I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Meaning, if even an earthly temple can demand modification of the Fourth Amendment, then literally interpreted, would, uh, would it not be far superior uh, for something greater than the temple for it to be done uh, this other way? In that case, Jesus Christ, who was addressing the Pharisees here and now, in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. He was basically saying to them, I'm the Messiah. And and really, I ought to make the rules. I'm more important than the temple. That's basically what he's saying here. Surely something greater than the temple, a treasure infinitely more precious, a gift from heaven immeasurably more valuable, an authority endowed with rights far more magisterial, was speaking to them, and they didn't recognize it. Even though all the things that he had done, all the miracles that he had performed, none of them recognized any of that. All right, let's look at the third one. Showing mercy is always right. The Lord continues. Look at verse 7. However, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. That was exactly the trouble with these Pharisees. They lacked pity. They didn't have any pity. They would have let those guys starve out there in the field. They did not love kindness. They had their rules, and they wanted their rules observed. They didn't care what anybody thought or said. They wanted those rules kept. Therefore, the hunger which plagued the disciples of Jesus failed to kindle within the hearts of their critics any feelings of tenderness or kindness or love or pity. They, of course, didn't offer to help. If they'd had a different idea... Maybe they could have said, well, why don't you all come over to our house and eat, and then you won't have to break the law that we have written. They didn't say that. Instead, they were condemning the disciples for what they were doing. As to Jesus, they not only condemned him, but they thought, oh, boy, we've got another reason to report him, another reason where perhaps we can get him killed. All right, let's look at the next one. The Sabbath was made for man, not vice versa. The Sabbath was instituted to be a blessing for people, not a curse. It was instituted to be helpful to people, to keep him healthy, to make him happy, to render him a more godly, holy person. Man was not created to be a slave Of the Sabbath. Now look at the last one. Sovereign ruler over all, including the Sabbath, is the Son of Man. In other words, Jesus. Jesus concludes this grain field Sabbath controversy by saying, verse 8, look at verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying very clearly again, I'm over this. This is under my control. I know what the word of God says. You guys have messed it up. Uh, What you're saying is wrong. Jesus had just pronounced his disciples guiltless. They were with indeed without any guilt whatsoever respect to the charge made against them by the Pharisees in picking and rubbing out the grain, eating this food. They were doing what Jesus allowed them to do and wanted them to do, wanted them to do. They were recognizing his lordship rather than the lordship of the Pharisees. Guilty are those who imagine that they can honor the Sabbath while dishonoring the Lord. You know, I hope and pray that we can base what we're thinking and what we're doing on the spirit of the word of God, on what the word of God says. That's what we ought to do. We should not be the legalists like the Pharisees and the scribes were. Because you know what they did? They ran people away from the Lord Jesus. They ran people away. From love and faith and hope and kindness and purity and all those things. We had a great morning this morning. We had 484 people here. I don't know, is that a, Judy, is that a record? Judy says that's a record. We had 484 people here in worship this morning. We had 107 In the first service, which is way more than we've ever had. You know, we had two folks come up and join the church. That's always a thrilling thing when that happens. And you know, tonight, tonight in this place, there might be somebody that's been thinking and praying about the morning service, about the risen Christ, about his demands on our lives. Maybe tonight there would be somebody in the house that would like to trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. That would like to join the church. That would like to rededicate their life to the Lord Jesus. Whatever it might be, we want to give you an opportunity to do it tonight. I'm going to be standing down here at the front. You just slip out and slip forward. Take a strong stand for the Lord Jesus. If he's tugging at your heart, respond to what he's saying. Let's stand together as we sing.